It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. Exclusively on CBS All Access, a legend returns. I have a mission. There's not a hell of a chance for somebody to stop me. Patrick Stewart in Star Trek Picard. Now streaming only on CBS All Access. Welcome to the Star Trek Picard podcast. I'm Dominic Patton, senior editor and chief TV critic for Deadline Hollywood. And I'm Jeff Boucher, the genre editor at Deadline. It is the beginning of February, and we are already beginning to feel the ends of winter, we hope, to some of you. And we're beginning to see some blossoming happening on CBS All Access' Picard. If you watched the episode last that, that dropped just after midnight this morning... We have some treats for you. If you didn't watch it, as I have said now the previous two times, and I probably will say every week, you might want to step back for a couple of hours, take a look at it, and then come back to us because we have spoilers deluxe coming your way for the episode that was known as The End is the Beginning. And let me tell you, The End was surely a beginning for some of us. Absolutely. And we have some great guests with us today. We have Alex Kurtzman, who's back, who is the executive producer of the show. We have Kirsten Byers, who's the supervising producer and co-creator of the show. And we also have Hanalee Culpepper, who uh, directed the first three episodes. So please join us as we take off into Federation space and beyond for more Star Trek Picard. I would love to start off, if we could, talking about how this was kind of the episode that you, you didn't, this was like the, the late edition ad, and like you, you, you came in to make two into three. Well, the truth is, it's not the late edition ad. The edition stuff is peppered throughout. Oh, so there's a little bit in episode one, there's a lot in episode two, and then I feel like episode three was, is predominantly what was episode two. I believe it starts, <laughs> correctly, it kind of starts with us going to the apartment and to Dodgers. In, in two. In, that was in two. That's the top of uh, episode two. For three, um, going back and seeing uh, the moment that Picard submitted his resignation and was it was um, and they accepted it. That scene of him telling her that that's the that was new new stuff, which actually we were which originally was in I think episode two back in the script phase and then taken out um, and then brought back when we've shot more stuff. So the bulk of it, the creation of the investigation, um, the back and forth cross-cutting between the interrogation and Dodge talking to Ramda, all of that was um, was originally episode two. And it just kind of got shoved down. Obviously, in, in, in any situation making a modern television show, there's, you know, you're just like, well, we thought we had this location and we don't, so we're going to do this or we're do that. There's always a little Frankensteining. There's always stitching. There's always weaving and just like having, having to hustle as you go. <clears throat> but with this, 
does it feel like as you as you these early episodes because you're bringing back this iconic character, you're developing this new story. There's a new tone. There's this and that. But did it kind of spin your guys' heads a little bit to be like, okay, so where where is he now? What's happening? It's interesting because I feel like I'm pretty good at keeping enormous amounts of information in my head linearly, and that one really blew my brains out. Like it, it really did because we were. We, we began to identify that there were certain things you needed to see to fully understand. Otherwise, people were referencing things that you didn't, as I said, didn't feel, right? And then you go, then, and you're shooting, right? So now you're shooting, and you're going backwards, and you're saying, wait a minute, what gaps do we need to fill in for, for full clarity? There's a Jenga quality it, to it. It, it really was. <laughs> and there's a lot of really big brains on the show and we all together were like wait so remind me what Hanali just did that's we were all like that all the time and you're like is that google doc number 17 or 17.7 you have no idea how many docs there were i mean to to make sure we were keeping track of everything and then you know we we go into editing and we watch it and we're like okay what are we missing oh you know what would be great uh we here's two lines of dialogue. Let's just pick that up in a close up. We would do some of that later. You know, it's it's a really it's a very fluid process. It 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 got a lot less fluid actually as the season went on. It was really the first three because we were landing so much ground at the beginning, but it was it, it really was a, a challenge to to keep all that straight. And it's a complex story. You know, I mean, it, it, it's leading into complex things. You know, I mean, there's a lot of stuff there that you could people could scratch their head if it's not all. If the dominoes don't, if you're missing a domino, they're not going to fall. Well, I sort of feel that's okay, to be honest. I feel like I, I think we felt it was okay. Yeah, too. I feel yeah. if you're if you're talking to an audience in 2020, yeah. it's like, you know, you know who the audience are. Like, I don't know what that is. Oh, look, Wikipedia says that. That's like, you know, like people. That's how people interact. So I feel like the 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 old style, which I guess a lot of us grew up with, is like, okay, so. This is happening. Robert McGee says, Act One. Totally. <laughs> I'm like, you don't, well, you don't need But as a, as a director, I don't want them to pause and go to Google. <laughs> they just be so engaged, they can't pull away. Maybe they make a little mental note to Google later. But yeah. yeah. But what's interesting when you talk about McGee, and, and look, I, ma- I maintain that no matter what streaming and, and uh, film has brought us now, which is, I think, uh, I, th- I think that the, the things that are successful are the things that don't work as a formula. But what, I think you have to know the formula in order to know how to break the rules. And I've, I've always believed that. And one of the things that's really interesting that, that, that I really like about the, the, what we came to is that typically you would show the Mars attack as a baseline and then you would operate outward from there. In this case, they talk about it, you're left to imagine it, and then it's not until episode two that you show it. In episode two... You meet Rafi, you begin to understand, oh, they have a history, but you don't really understand what it is until the beginning of episode three. And that's that's a very, it, it's not linear, but it, it's the puzzle to me as a viewer is more interesting. Yeah. You know, I remember I talked to Michael Mann once about this and I said, what, what's the biggest difference between filmmaking now and when you started? And 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 it could be like a, a practical difference or it could be more philosophical. And he said people start movies in the middle of conversations now yeah, right. and, and, and the audience uh, has reached a level of sophistication and, and uh, acquaintance with story dynamics that they'll go along with it and, and, or they won't, but you can do that. And he goes, when I start, you start at the beginning, you tell people what's going to happen, then you just do it. And then, and he said, you know, it's really, really invigorating and surprising because it, it's, 
it's it's like watching literature change. You know, it's like the postmodern thing, um, which can be good and bad. Yeah, and and but do you guys ever? Does it ever reach a point where it's like like Kubrick with two thousand one? He's like, no, it's too easy to understand. Take things out. You know, like I mean, he actually purposely in, in mm-hmm. injected ambiguity to kind of create create this epic feel. In this case, I don't think we ever had a need to do that. Like we knew from the beginning. You know, once we had the story set, kind of how big and massive this was going to be. And I think there was a, you know, as we were getting toward the end, a sense that we just had too much left to explain. And that's why it really made sense. You mean when you get towards the end of the story? Toward like, toward like episode seven and eight in that area. And we were like, like we had sort of scheduled, you sort of knew when certain cards were going to turn over and things were going to drop and to get there and feel like, oh wait, no, like they don't have a firm enough grounding in this piece of the mythology yet, even though we always knew that's what we were doing and where we were going. Right. So you um, had to lace it through. Yeah. I mean, it's sort of like, it, it's, a, it's a bigger story to keep in your head at all times. I think of it the way I think of my novels as opposed to an individual episode, right? And it's a very easy thing when you're writing a book to go, oh, wait, I, it's chapter three. You know, I need to go back and lay that in. It's a much bigger deal, but also was really, really critical. It's a lot less expensive in the novel. In novel <laughs> yeah. <form>. Sorry. <laughs> but to that, I Not in your heart. <laughs> I actually want to start – this is a classic ploy, but I actually want to start at the end because he says the famous word. Mm-hmm. And and it, it – it, I got to tell you from episode one, I know that I am not alone. We were all waiting, right? Mm-hmm. And it's very interesting when we get to that stage. And I want to get a sense from you guys about that when, when, when Patrick, when Jean-Luc says engage. It's, a, it's different. It's not that it's, it's, there's a, there's, and I just, what was that? One of the things that, um, I learned, we learned on the, on the 2009 movie, it, which carried all the same expectations, right? You're waiting for Scotty to say, I can't keep it together. You're waiting for yeah. spot, like all of those things. God um, damn it, Jim. You know, I'm giving her all she's got, Captain. Uh, every, every, you know, damn it, man, I'm a doctor, not a mm-hmm. fill in the blank. Yeah. Um, the trick that I think Bob and I learned at the time was do it at the moment when you least expect it in a way that's least expected, right? And then it's very delightful and satisfying when it comes. And I think we felt similarly that if Picard walked on screen and said, make it so or engage, you'd be like, I got nowhere to go. Like, <laughs> Done! <laughs> I might as well cancel my subscription now. This guy, I just got that's what I paid for. That's an excellent Star Trek short. I love it. <laughs> really short. Yeah. That's yeah. perfect. It's like every Star Wars movie, they could just reduce it to, I've got a bad feeling about this. Right. Yeah. 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 But, but, it, you know, but did you consider him not having him not do it? Oh, for sure. Yeah. Oh, for sure. It feels like no. you guys have broken so many of those rules. Make, make no not? mistake. Patrick started by saying, I won't say the lines. I won't be in a uniform. I won't do the Borg. I mean, it started with all of that. And I think, you know, it was a great thing that he, he did that because he, what he was really saying was, I'm throwing down the gauntlet for you to come up with something new and fresh. Mm-hmm. And if by the time I feel satisfied in that regard, eh, then I'll throw in and make it so. You know what I mean? Wow. And I don't know even if that was conscious on his part, but that's certainly what the effect was. But you know, it was funny uh, that day. We're all, you know, I, we're all looking forward to him saying it too, because it's just <laughs> sure. part of, we're all fans. Yeah. And, um, and I want to make that shot as heroic as possible. And he just, he really wanted to hold the bag with the bread and the bread was sticking out. And I was like, can we, 
He's like, I really want the the back of the bread because that took away it from being like your regular engaged. It made sure. it, it brought it back down to who he is now. He's there with the bread that <laughs> the shebang. He's much more domestic himself. now. Like so, he goes to get coffee. He's like, make it soy. <laughs> There's something that I love so much about the way Hanali directed that moment. And it's a, it's a meta moment that doesn't really announce itself as a meta moment, but you've now gone through three episodes and you finally get to that moment. And he says, okay. And everyone takes their seats and they turn to him as if they were the audience <laughs> saying, are you going to say it now? And then he goes, all right, you know, engage, you know, and the camera is kind of waiting for it too. And it's suddenly like you are, you are, it, I just thought it was a, yeah. such a lovely, Sort of tip of the hat to yes. Now we're going to give you what you what you paid for. Because yeah, because everybody wants everybody right. on the crew. Yeah, you know, they've they've watched the holodeck replays of the shows. Yeah, but I always think that that's such a, you know that that maybe is the wrong word, but it it feels like sometimes it can be a real burden. You know when you when mm. you when you have a franchise, or you have a revival, or you have an sure, iconic character. It's like. Yeah, we gotta get. He's got like he's got to do the thing. Well, that's what happened because like, because yeah. if you crew. if you fuck it up, and you do it in a way that's not satisfying, you've now it's cloying. You've now like sullied something that, yes. that people love. Yeah, and it, or it can become like a museum piece. You know, like uh, yeah. you know, like if you I, I went on the set of uh, Superman Returns, the Brian Singer movie, and you know he was using the the, the John Williams music, and he was doing all these things, calling mm-hmm. back to Christopher Reeve, like mm-hmm. and. I remember thinking, like, boy, you gotta be careful because this is gonna turn into a museum piece at some mm-hmm. point. Like, you're afraid to break anything. You're also afraid to to make it, you know, do stuff. You know, like you gotta be able to, you know, willing to break the enterprise. Yeah. You know, to, well, that, that's and, right. that, and that speaking of breaking, I mean, that's that's what the Borg cube is. Mm-hmm. You know, it's the broken thread. And and we spent a lot of time in this episode on that cube. Mm-hmm. We, we learn a lot and. And that, you know, the in that, I, I mean, I, I guess it's sort of an interrogation chamber that Hugh takes her into. And, and, and we start we start learning from the cards and all sorts of things. Uh, give us a sense of that because it was, you know, there are elements of this. And I, I think, Alex, you've talked about this before. And it's, it's kind of inevitable when you're talking about Patrick because of his stage careers. There's a great stage feeling about this sometimes where it's like they're not set pieces, but they're like, we're just going to let the, this is people talking and things happening. Because that's that's. I feel like isn't that one of the most defining characteristics of Star Trek, and isn't why, isn't it why it's so beloved? In fact, I feel like the debate is always: is it action or is it character and philosophy? And 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 I would say more people fall on the side of character and philosophy than action, even though the movies and the shows have a lot of them, all of them. Yes, is this not just ours? Yeah, but it's it's a question of balance, right? It's it's how much uh, ratio. What's the ratio of action to character and philosophy? And Look, n- none of us want to throw in an action scene just to have it. It's it it has to move the story forward in the way that a good musical, it, it, the musical number moved the story forward, or the or the song shouldn't be there, you know. And I I think that the beauty of television streaming television now is that you can say I'm going to write an eight minute scene, and I'm not going to cut it. I'm and, and if the scene's good enough, and if the elements in the scene are electric enough, then people will sit and they'll want to watch it. It's a harder thing to do in a movie. Captain Rios? Oh, hi. Hello. Picard. Yes, sorry, of course you are. I'm afraid you might be too late. Right then, come on. So, what seems to be the problem? Are you kidding me? Hey, are you? Chris Rios is just a near mage. Just? 
I'm, uh... I know who you are. I read one of your books one time. What happened to you? I didn't die. Mad kids. I want to be anything. No, thanks. What you want to do is take the giant hunk of tritanium shrapnel out of the hole in my shoulder. That's just a guess. Please, sit. And where are we at? Now we're learning about the destroyer. Now we're learning about the, what uh, I guess what the stakes are outside of Jean-Luc's life and and failures and resurrection and, and sense of guilt. It, it, we're going to larger places and it feels like we are, I guess it's inevitable, It we're starting to bump against canon in original ways. Mm-hmm. There are like things here where you're like, oh, this, yeah, this is not my next generation, mm-hmm. but that doesn't mean my next generation didn't happen. You know, and stuff like, I, I wanted to get the notion of, so what do you do with a character like that? With, you know, Bruce Maddox might have created the end of the universe. Mm-hmm. Oh. Well, he always had it in him, didn't he? <laughs> I mean, he wanted to take data apart piece by piece. Um, you know, I think about um, the Romulans and how you little... You said that in such a loving way. Well, yeah. But, uh, I could hear but, some but, things but, about the Romulans a lot. <laughs> <laughs> but honestly, how little we really knew about them. That was the thing we kept coming up against as we were trying to go as deep as possible into each character and into each element of story, right? We knew they were sort of secretive. We knew they were no fun to necessarily be very defensive, very much on their side of the wall, right, or the neutral zone. Well, see, that's funny. When I was a kid, I always thought the Romulans were were Mao's China. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Klingons were Soviet mm-hmm. Russia. Yeah. yeah. You know, of course. So, so then. was America. So then, because right. we're us and we're super geeks about this, the question we ask is why? How did that particular culture develop that thing? And is there any way to actually make that real in our story in a meaningful way? And uh, so, so all of these important things that we're starting to learn actually come from something that is quite old and foundational. And we're going to get more of it as we go along. But, but that was really the, the challenge, right? To allow the Romulans to be who we've always known them to be, but to provide more new, exciting, compelling information that makes you go, Oh God. Yeah, of course. You know, but in there, you know, are the Romulans a treat or a bit of a a weight? Because they're the Romulan. I mean, you know, the Klingons are, I'm not going to say it's easy, but they come and they do their stuff, right? And, and certainly we've seen on Discovery a, a great portion of that. But the Romulans are mysterious and threatening, but also oblique. Like a, a Romulan greeting, you're, I mean, having watched so many episodes of the various shows, like it's like, is that a hello or a, a get the fuck away from me? Mm-hmm. Like, I don't, there is sure no definition that for that. Exactly. Yeah. So, I mean, does, does, that, does that give you opportunity or does that limit opportunity? It gives you up. Oh, yeah. yeah, for They're sure. They're a treat. <laughs> How can yeah. we never They're see them drunk, though? How can we never see them drunk? Because they have Romulan ale. I mean, they, they especially... <laughs> <laughs> That's the secret of Romulan ale. Everybody gets drunk but them. Uh, <laughs> I think Romulans, from a writing point of view, are so interesting because their entire culture is based on secrecy, right? So if you're doing... It, we, we start veering into what almost feels like a spy thriller when you're on the cube. And... 
perf- Romulans are perfect for that, you know. And the idea that Soji has to figure out a way to approach uh, a former Romulan who then was assimilated by Borg and is now basically schizophrenic means that she has to know about, even though Ramda says, I hate the word mythology, she has to know enough about Romulan mythology and secrecy to know how to approach her, right? So suddenly she she becomes a puzzle box. She becomes a really interesting problem for our characters to solve. And I think that you'll see over the course of the season that not only is Romulan secrecy a really big part of what what is connected to the Destroyer and, and the mythology of the Destroyer, but where we're, where we're going by the ending. Um, and... What that mythology actually is, and how deeply it's embedded in Romulan culture. We're now we're now far enough in that I feel we can talk about this openly as friends. Like you guys brought the Borg back, and that's that's a huge deal for any part of the Star Trek canon, but especially with Pat, with with Picard. So, if the Romulans are are you know a burden, or there's there's mystery within mystery, or is that opportunity? What does the Borg represent for that? Because the Borg is like, you know, people. You got people like me who are like, you know, as I've said, two and a half hours of the greatest television ever made, right? So like, you're going to beat that. Well, I think Kirsten is going to be able to give a more articulate answer to the the, um, I guess what the implications are from a fan point of view about bringing the Borg back. But what I can tell you was really significant to us was that we were really not repeating and I, I, I'm being cryptic because in future episodes a lot more will be revealed but we're and not which means on future podcasts which is I can't wait what this show is going to do is it's going to give you a totally different perspective on the Borg than than you've had before and I think without revealing too much in keeping with the spirit of what is so beautiful about Roddenberry's vision you know where the monster actually suddenly becomes the friend we're going to be turning a little bit away from the Borg that you've met uh, on the series and in the films to to a reminder that they were former species that were assimilated, mm-hmm. just like Picard. And there's a, a, hum, a humanistic approach to the story yeah. from that point of view. It's like the, uh, the young soldiers pressed into duty, uh, you know, that we've seen all over the world, especially in places like Africa, you know, yep. like we're... The, the first victim is the person that's holding the gun. That's right. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Now, yeah. that's something interesting to, to, to kind of use the word interesting way too much. Um, that's remarkable. Fascinating. Uh, fascinating. Please, the Thoris, help us. Uh, also, we're seeing press into service. We're now, our Motley crew has been pulled together. Um, not entirely. Oh, yes, by, by not entirely. The, we're close. We're yeah. very close. We're, yeah. close. Yeah. we're, we're working on one. Yeah. yeah. We're working. Yeah, yeah we're, working. <laughs> we're working. And we've seen the first kind of, the Besides data and, and opening the drawers with with Hugh, we've seen the first kind of blast from the past in in a sense like that, right? Um, personalized one. I mean, clearly larger characters, obviously, and and species. Um, this is this is happening in a very organic way. These are not flashed in the sky um, or in traditional television. Like, stay tuned after this commercial, big cameo coming up how the, the process of this is is this is this laying uh, a pace or is this we're just getting there and then we're speeding up and again no spoilers or future podcasts I, I think to defy all the conventions as you say of formula of you know what, what you're talking about is sort of like let's create a platform for the introduction of a character as opposed to introduce the character when the story says now i need you to see the story from this person's point of view and i that that determined everything that every decision that we made was was from that place and I think it was probably born of the fact that Patrick was understandably and correctly so allergic to bringing in 
cast just to have them be there for fan service. Um, it meant that every time they entered into the story, the, st- the story was now pivoting toward, toward that character for a reason. And uh, it was great. I mean, uh, I love that there's not a lot of fanfare, you know. Yeah, well, it makes, for me, it adds to the sort of verisimilitude of the universe, right? All these people exist at the same time. Just because we never saw them on the same shows interacting, they all had lives that were continuing. And so um, it, it it's fan service in the sense that people are going to see those folks and be, oh, wait, I remember. Did that, how many times did we, and, you know, but it's also like we look, try to look always at the reality of the world. Who would be working at Daystrom? Like what, what would their job be? What, what are their days like? Um, so the, and that, do you get discount cards at free cloud? Do you, I don't. Rafi does. Um, yeah, it's, yeah, it's, um, yeah, it's just trying to make it always seem more real than it ever did before. It's kind of like putting together a Rolling Stones set list at this point too, though. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You know, because like that's well, the master analogy so far. <laughs> well, I think we need you got to play the tumbling dice. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Jonathan Fricks. <laughs> but also to that though, I mean, you all there's and this this was something that I really enjoyed. Because as much as you're dealing with Patrick and Cannon and bringing all these things in, you then bring in uh, Santiago's character. And you ha- it's like Santiago's characters because you have this great hologram that really is like they – it's it's kind of like the, there's the rogue captain, but there's Laurel and Hardy happening simultaneously. And I, I love that. Santiago, I, I had the great privilege of working with him on our show Salvation that went two seasons. And um, he, he – so he, Santiago – came to work one day on that show in full makeup as an old man. And the rest of his cast did not know it was him until he, and it's all in video until he sprung, Hey guys, it's me. And they were like, who is this crazy person? (laughs) This old crazy person who's, and, and they were totally blown away. And I think whether I didn't realize it, but that planted the seed for all of us of the fact that he's a chameleon Mm -hmm. and that he can do so many things. And, we asked him, so what kind of accents can you do? And he was like, well, which one do you want? And suddenly the character began emerging. And you'll see that it isn't a gimmick. There's actually a reason that all the hollows are programmed with different facets of his personality. That'll play out later. Oh, that's interesting. Yeah. He's very popular in my household, too. But <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm not sure how I feel about that. Yeah. <laughs> There are also there's a, a very attractive look, and I know I'm pounding this a little bit, but I but I I I think you did a great job on those three episodes as a director. I really do, and I I think we should all applaud it, and I think we should note it. And I, I, I also <laughs> want to get a sense of in, in this sense is this is the kind of the end of the trilogy of those ones. How how did that feel for you in, t- in telling telling the story, which really te- you know that's just the story you're delivering it to us. It's a responsibility. Yeah, yeah exactly. no, I yeah. definitely. Um, felt the weight of it, you know, every day. I, I enjoyed the process. It was really great. I mean, even though I was a Next Generation fan, um, I feel like I was the casual viewer fan. Like, I didn't do, like, such a deep dive. And so it was great to go back to the series that I loved and do the deep dive and learn even more and bring all these, you know, uh, bring the, all the stuff back to the surface of what I had experienced emotionally watching the, the Next Generation and in doing this. And so um, as a fan, you know, I wanted to make sure it was good to please people like me, to please people like you guys. It was my first pilot, so there's all the weight of that and what that's going to mean for your career. Um, and I recognize Means that... Means thumbs up. <laughs> I'm not, and, look, I'm yeah. a TV critic. I get yeah. to say that. I get paid for it. No, it's true. Like, that's your, I didn't know yeah. that. I didn't know it was your first pilot. Really? Yeah. yeah. Wow. I mean, for... 
Alex and the Secret Hideout team and for CBS All Access to take that risk on me. I mean, that's really showed a lot of faith. And so it's like you can't, like, I, you know, I can't uh, let delivered. them down. Um, so it's, you know, it's really, I'm just forever grateful. It truly was a game changer. Well, you, I mean, I feel that the, the, the visual palette is so well set now that uh, three episodes in that we know we know who these people are and they, I guess, worlds or galaxies they live in by that. I and mean, the stakes. Yeah. You know, we know the stakes. You know. Yeah, yeah. Is it hard to disengage, so to speak? Ouch. No, it actually, Ouch. But it's true. It is very hard to disengage. Um, because it was my first pilot, it was the first time that I gave birth to a show. Yeah. I told Alex that basically I would be his surrogate for <laughs> what he had. And, you know, I, it was hard to let that child go and now, you know, other directors come in and do their thing. And, you know, I went off and I shot Discovery and some other stuff. And so, you know, you kind of just, I kind of wanted to be here just all the time until they kicked me out, you know. <laughs> so it was very hard to have this baby and then let it go and let it thrive and now it's off to the college world. college yeah. Yeah. It's, so, it's so easy to have Hanali around because she's so collaborative you know i mean she i can't wait for people to see the episode of discovery that she did this season uh where we it's not really a spoiler because it's in the it's in the uh, teaser but we go to trill and again that's another sort of world building or rebuilding thing and it's such a beautiful emotional episode and you know i love i love working with Hanali because w- We've now, I mean, you started on season one of Discovery, so it's been years now, you know, so there's like a real shorthand and a real understanding of certain things that, and I I was very, I I was very excited because I think I had more confidence in Hanali than Hanali (laughs) for the, for the pilot. I just knew she was going to kill it. That's great. Yeah. They say in science that if you can do something three times, it's a fact. So this is the end of our third podcast. It's the uh, third episode of Star Trek Picard. So I think we can honestly say this looks like it's real. That's a fact. So we will be back next week as we are every week at 2 p.m. Pacific time. We're going to be back with some great guests. And we have some really, really special guests next week. So you might want to hang around. And that's a fact. With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.